And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today's December 25th, the 359th day of the year. Six days remain to the year's over with. And a very happy Merry Christmas to all of you. Somebody asked me the other day, I don't know if they were serious or not, um, why Christmas, which is supposed to be the the time of Christ's birth, on December 25th, when he was supposedly born in March. Well, prior to Christianity becoming the religion uh, of Rome, it was uh, they worshipped the pagan gods. Emperor Constantine um, became a Christian and wanted his followers to follow the Christian religion. A lot of resistance. December 25th is actually the birth date of Saul Invictus, a uh, major pagan god. And it was decided by the powers that be um, to just take a, a date that was a, a holiday and December 25th already was as the birth date of Saul Invictus and it was by royal decree Christ's birthday Christmas the church in Rome was adamant that Christ was born December 25th now, the most common story around Christmas observation um, has to do with Mary, the mother of Jesus. She was told she would be having a special child. She was told that by an, an angel of the Lord. And it said that Mary got this prediction March 25th, and nine months later on December 25th, Jesus was born. Now, apparently, um, when the emperor spoke, that's the way it was. Now, that's uh, not actually uh, historically accurate, but when the emperor speaks, kind of like when our current commander-in-chief speaks uh, facts are irrelevant what he says is it now the the actual birth date of Jesus isn't stated in the gospels or in any historical forces, uh, sources but most biblical scholars accept the date of birth between 6 BC and 4 BC the year in which uh, King Herod uh, died And Jesus actually was crucified Friday, April 3rd, A.D. 33, at about 3 in the afternoon. That was a, four hour, a few hours before the beginning of Passover and the Sabbath. And that's the date in the Julian calendar, which was introduced in 45 B.C. Um, the 
Now, the church in Rome began formally celebrating Christmas on December 25th in the year 336. Uh, Constantine, of course, uh, made Christianity the effective religion of the empire. Some have speculated that choosing this date had the political motive of weakening the established pagan celebrations, and the birthday of Sol Invictus was a major celebration. Well... Now, the date December 25th, for those who are um, factually inclined, is not the date mentioned in the Bible. It was the day Jesus was born. In fact, the Bible is silent on the, the day or the time of year when Mary said they'd given birth in Bethlehem. And the earliest Christians did not celebrate his birth. Now, prior to Christianity dominating the scene, there were almost certainly existing pagan celebrations. Um, the winter solstice, the shortest day of the year, had always been celebrated by primitive peoples as a beginning of hope for the arrival of spring, and this continued in the classical times. And the Romans celebrated the festival of Saturnalia between 17th and 25th of December. So, December 25th was both a pagan as well as a biblical daily celebration. Now, all that having been said, in the year 36 AD, forces of Emperor Guanwu of the Eastern Han under the command of Wuhan conquered the separatist uh, Qinghia Empire, reuniting China. 274, a temple to Saul Invictus is dedicated in Rome by the Emperor Aurelian. Saul Invictus, of course, was um, well, the name actually means invincible sun or unconquered sun. It was the official sun god of the late Roman Empire and later version of the god Saul. Uh, the Emperor Aurelian revived this cult in 274 and promoted Saul Invictus as the chief god of the empire. And uh, the main festival dedicated to him was the Dies Natalis Salus Invicti, or the birthday of the Invisible Sun, celebrated December 25th, the date of the winter solstice in the Roman calendar. Now, from Aurelian's time onward, Saul was of supreme importance, often appeared, uh, appeared on the uh, Imperial coinage, often shown wearing a sun crown and driving a horse-drawn chariot through the sky. Um, his prominence lasted until the Emperor Constantine established the Christianity as the imperial religion. The uh, last inscription referring to Saul Invictus dates to 8387, although there were still enough of devotees in the 5th century that the Christian theologian Augustine found it necessary to preach against them. The uh, that's one thing about the church leaders. They protected their turf. Three thirty-three, Roman Emperor Constantine the Great elevates his youngest son Constans to the rank of Caesar. Three thirty-six, first documentary sign of Christmas celebration in Rome. Three fifty, Latronio meets Constantius the Second at. Uh, 
Naesis, or in Serbia. He was forced to abdicate his imperial title. Constantinus allows him to live as a private citizen on a state pension. 508, Clovis I, king of the Franks, is baptized in the Catholic faith at Reims by uh, St. Uh, Remiglius. It's interesting uh, how many early Christian leaders became saints. 597, Augustine of Canterbury and his fellow laborers baptized in Kent more than 10,000 Anglo-Saxons. 800, the coronation of Charlemagne as Holy Roman Emperor took place in Rome on this date. 820, Eastern Emperor Leo V is murdered in a church at the Great Palace of Constantinople by followers of Michael II. In the year 1000, the foundation of the Kingdom of Hungary is established as a Christian kingdom by Stephen I of Hungary. 1013, Sven Fortbeard takes control of the Danelaw and is proclaimed King of England. 1025, coronation of Mishko II Lambert as King of Poland. 1046, Henry III is crowned Holy Roman Emperor by Pope Clement II. Now, I was asked the other day what Holy Roman Emperor actually meant. The title Holy Roman Emperor originally and officially meant the Emperor of the Romans. Um, during the Middle Ages, and also known as the Roman German Emperor since the early modern period. Um, in fact, uh, Romish Deutscher Kaiser means Roman German Emperor. And um, whoever held the title was a ruler and head of state for the Holy Roman Empire. The title was held in conjunction with the title of King of Italy from the 8th to the 16th century, and almost without interruption with the title of King of Germany throughout the 12th to the 18th century. However, Roman Empire uh, emperor title provided the highest prestige among medieval Roman Catholic monarchs because the empire was considered by the Roman Catholic Church to be the only official successor of the Roman Empire during the Middle Ages, early modern period. So thus, in theory and in diplomacy, the emperors were considered primus inter pares, regarded as the first among equals among other Roman Catholic monarchs across Europe. So... Even though there was no empire per se, there were still kings. 1066, William the Conqueror, my ancestor, Duke of Normandy, is crowned King of England at uh, Westminster Abbey in London. Fascinating when you do the family history and find out all these things. 
Probably your Logos. And remember, the Eastern Roman Empire was the Byzantine Empire. The Roman Empire was so large and so unwieldy that they had to divide it into two. 1492, the Carrack Santa Maria, commanded by Christopher Columbus, runs onto a reef off Haiti due to an improper watch. 1553, Battle of Tucapel. Mapuche rebels under Lotaro defeat the Spanish conquistadors and executes the governor of Chile, Pedro de Valdivia. 1559, Pope Pius IV is elected four months after his predecessor's death. 1758, Halley's Comet is cited by Johann George Palitzitz confirming Edmund Halley's prediction of its passage. This was the first passage of a comet predicted ahead of time. 1766, Mapuches in Chile launched a series of surprise attacks against the Spanish during the Mapuche uprising of 1766. Now, for those that are not familiar with the uh, Mapuches, that's a group of native in, natives, indigenous um, to south-central Chile and southwestern Argentina, including parts of Patagonia. This collective term refers to a wide-ranging ethnicity composed of various groups who share a common social, religious, and economic structure. Was a common linguistic heritage as uh, Apudungan speakers. Homelands once extended from Joapa Valley to the Kiloe Archipelago and later spread eastward to Pulimapu, land comprising part of the Argentine Pampa and Patagonia. Today, this group uh, makes up over 80% of the indigenous peoples in Chile and about 9% of the local Chilean population. So they. Uh, I guess you could say it's an ethnic group within Chile. 1776, George Washington, the Continental Army, crossed the Delaware River at night to attack Hessian forces uh, serving Great Britain at Trenton, New Jersey the next day. It was a kind of a Christmas present for him. 1793, General Matt Anthony Wayne and a 300-man detachment identified the site of St. Clair's 1791 defeat by the Large number of unburied human remains at Modern Fort Recovery in Ohio. Now, St. Clair's defeat, known as the Battle of the Wabash and the Battle of the Wabash River or the Battle of a Thousand Slain, was a battle fought on November 4, 1791 in the Northwest Territory of the U.S. The U.S. Army faced the Western Confederacy of Native Americans as part of the Northwest Indian War most decisive defeat in the history of the American military and its largest defeat ever by Native Americans. Native Americans were led by Little Turtle of the Miamis, Blue Jacket of the Shawnees, and Belcongahelas of the Delawares, or the Lenape. War party numbered about a thousand, including many Potawatomis from eastern Michigan. The opposing force of about a thousand Americans led by General Arthur St. Clair. The American Indian Confederacy attacked at dawn, taking St. Clair's men by surprise. The thousand men and officers in St. Clair's uh, force, only 24 escaped unharmed. As a result, President George Washington forced St. Clair to resign, and Congress initiated its first investigation of the executive branch. Basically, it was um, a rout.
1809, Dr. Ephraim McDowell performs the first ovariotomy, removing a 22-pound tumor. Ovariotomy. Since I don't know what that is, um, it's historically called a ovariotomy, and it's the surgical removal of an ovary. Um, removal of the ovaries of females is a biological equivalent of castration of males, so that gives you an idea of what was taking place. 1814, Reverend, I can't talk, Samuel Marsden holds the first Christian service on land in New Zealand at uh, Rangahua Bay. 1815, the Handel and Hayden Society, oldest continually performing arts organization in the United States, gives its first performance. 1826, the eggnog riot at the U.S. Military Academy concludes after beginning the previous evening. It was uh, sometimes known as the Grog Mutiny. It was a riot that took place at the Military Academy caused by a drunken Christmas party in the northern barracks of the Academy and Two days prior to the incident, a large quantity of whiskey smuggled into the, into the academy to make eggnog for the party. This gave the riot its name. The riot eventually involved more than one-third of the cadets at the time it ceased on Christmas morning. Subsequent investigation by academy officials resulted in the implication of 70 cadets and a court-martialing of 20 of them, along with one enlisted soldier. Among the participants in the riot, though he wasn't court-martialed, was... Uh, None other than future Confederate States President Jefferson Davis. Well, you know, eggnog was a very important drink. A large number of the small dairy farms in America in the early 19th century made milk and cream and eggnog more accessible to the American public. Even George Washington drank eggnog that contained not only rum, but also a significant amount of sherry and brandy and whiskey. Well, 1817, Sylvanus Thayer took command of the Military Academy. In 1826, the Academy had 36 men serving as faculty and staff. Alcohol possession at the academy was prohibited, along with drunkenness and intoxication, both of which could lead to expulsion. Tobacco use gambling could lead to demerits, minor incarceration, and even a loss of privilege. By 1826, concern had been raised that drinking was starting to get out of hand among the 260 cadets at the academy. And they were informed that due to alcohol prohibitions on the site, their Christmas eggnog would be alcohol-free, prompting the decision to smuggle liquor into the academy. And it went downhill from there. Been interesting to watch. 1831, the Great Jamaican Slave Revolt begins. Up to 20% of Jamaican slaves mobilized in the ultimately unsuccessful fight for, fight for freedom. 1837, Second Seminole War. American General Zachary Taylor leads 1,100 troops against the Seminoles at the Battle of Lake Okeechobee. 1868, pardons for ex-Confederates. President Andrew Johnson granted an unconditional pardon to all Confederate veterans. 
And that brings up an interesting question. Some Confederate veterans actually served in the government, uh, the U.S. government after that. And they had an absolutely rock-solid revolt against the U.S. As somebody asked me the other day during a discussion, if President Trump is accused, but it's not proven he was involved in the January 6th um, incident, how can he be removed from the ballot for uh, revolting against the government when there's no proof he revolted? And it was a good point. I had no answer for that. 1914, a series of unofficial truces occur across the Russian front to celebrate Christmas. In fact, um, at one point, um, Germans and Allied uh, soldiers actually had a football game going on between the lines. 1915, national protection war breaks out against the Empire of China as military leaders Kai Yi and Tang Jiao proclaim the independence of Yunnan and begin a campaign to restore the republic. 1927, B.R. Embedkar and his followers burn copies of the Manusmriti and Mahad Maharashtra to protest its treatment of uh, Dalit people. 1932, a magnitude 7.6 earthquake in Gansu, China, kills 275 people. 1941, Admiral Chester Nimitz, appointed commander of the U.S. Pacific Fleet on December 17th, arrives at Pearl Harbor. 1941, World War II, Battle of Hong Kong ends, beginning the Japanese occupation of Hong Kong. 1941, Admiral Emile Musselier seizes the archipelago of Saint-Pierre and Nicotin, which becomes the first part of France to be liberated by the Free French Forces. 1946, the first European self-sustaining nuclear chain reaction is initiated within the Soviet Union's F-1 nuclear reactor. 1950, the Stone of Scone, a traditional coronation stone of British monarchs, is taken from Westminster Abbey by Scottish Nationalist students. Later turns up in Scotland on April 11, 1951. 1951, a bomb explodes at the home of Harry Moore and Harriet Moore, early leaders of the Civil Rights Movement, killed Harry instantly and fatally wounded Harriet. 1962, the Soviet Union conducts its Final above-ground nuclear weapons test in anticipation of the 1963 Partial Nuclear Test Ban Treaty. 1963, Turkish Cypriot Bayrak Radio begins transmitting in Cyprus after Turkish Cypriots are forcibly excluded from Cyprus Broadcasting Company. See, it's not that difficult to put a radio station on the air. You just have to get the word out that it's there. 1968, Apollo Program. Apollo 8 performs the first successful trans-Earth injection maneuver, sending the crew and spacecraft on a trajectory back to Earth from lunar orbit. 1968, Kilvin Money Massacre, 44 Delits, or Untouchables, are burned to death in uh, Kizhavan Money Village, Tamil Nadu, a retaliation for a campaign for higher wages by Delit laborers. The Dalits, or the untouchables, are the lowest strata of um, Indian society. 
1976, Egypt Air Flight 664, Boeing 707, crashes on approach to Don Buyang International Airport, kills 71 people. 1977, Israeli Prime Minister Menachem Begin meets in Egypt with its President Anwar Sadat. 1986, Iraqi Airways Flight 163, a Boeing 727, is hijacked and crashes in Arar, Saudi Arabia. Kills 63 people. 1989, Romanian Revolution. Deposed President of Romania Nicola Ceausescu and his wife Alina are condemned to death and executed after a summary trial. 1991, Mikhail Gorbachev resigns as President of the Soviet Union. Um... The Soviet Union was actually officially dissolved the next day. Ukraine's referendum is finalized. Ukraine officially leaves the Soviet Union. 1999, Cubana de Avacion, Flight 310, a Yakovlev Yak-42 crashes near Bajuma, Carabobo State in Venezuela. Killed 22 people. 2003, UTA Flight 141, a Boeing 727 crashes at the Cotono Airport in Benin killed 141 people. 2003, the ill-fated Beagle 2 probe released from the Mars Express spacecraft on December 19th stops transmitting shortly before its scheduled landing. 2004, the Cassini orbiter releases Huygens probe that successfully landed on Saturn's moon Titan on January 14, 2005. 2012, a Atanav AN-72 crashes close to the city of Shimkent, killed 27 people. 2012, Air Began Flight 11, a Fokker 100, crashes on approach to the Hiho Airport in Hiho, Myanmar, killed, 40, uh, killed two people. 2016, a Russian Defense Ministry Tupolev Tu-154, carrying members of the Alexandrov Ensemble, crashes into the Black Sea shortly after takeoff, killed all 92 people on board. 2019, 20 people are killed and thousands are left homeless by Typhoon Fantone in the Philippines. 2020, explosion in Nashville, Tennessee occurs, leaving three civilians in the hospital. And in 2021, the James Webb Space Telescope is launched. Well, that ends our little history segment. Okay. <clears throat> You know, Christmas, we've all been told all our lives, is a time of peace and goodwill toward men. But it's also been the time of a number of murders. Now, while countless millions celebrate Christmas each year, psycho slayers and anti-Mary murderers consider December 25th just another date on the calendar that they can kill. So I'm going to cover some cases that uh, are synonymous with Christmas. Of course, the first one is very well known. It's uh, the John Benet Ramsey murder. Six-year-old beauty queen. The Christmas slaying. Christmas 1996. Uh, she was born August 6th, 1990. Died in the waning hours of December 25th, 1996. First grade age beauty pageant queen. 
been strangled and beaten so severely it actually broke her skull. Her father discovered her body in the family's basement eight hours after reporting her missing. Now, quite frankly, between you and me, if I had a missing um, family member, <clears throat> before I called anybody, I'd search the place from top to bottom. Patsy Ramsey, Germany's mother, former beauty queen herself, presented police with a ransom note. She said she found and demanded $118,000. That was the identical amount of the bonus John had gotten for Christmas. Now, there were contradictions and suspicions that immediately arose. The Ramseys lawyered up and more than 20 years since somebody murdered John Bonet in an intricately tangled web of media headlines, false leads, bizarre claims, lawsuits, and even Patsy's death from cancer in 2006 has continued to carry this little mini-soap opera with no end in sight. The one unanswered question that everybody keeps bringing up from time to time is who killed Jean Bonnet? And why? It, um, it does raise, raise so many questions. In a locked house, somebody gets in, murders a family member, leaves. Nobody knows it happened. Now, December 26th is when the Ramses discovered their daughter missing. Lying on the staircase, Patsy finds a three-page ransom note demanding that John pay $118,000 or his daughter's going to be killed. Well, eight hours later, John Ramsey finds John Bonet's lifeless body in the basement, which would have been the first place I would have looked. He told ABC News she was lying on a white blanket, the blanket wrapped around her, her hands tied above her head, tape over her mouth. He said, I immediately knelt down, felt her cheek, took the tape off, tried to untie the cord that was around her arms, and I couldn't get the knot untied. Well, subsequent investigations showed she had been bludgeoned and strangled with a garrote, and she died December 25th. She's buried in Marietta, Georgia. Now, why anybody wouldn't want to be buried in Marietta, Georgia is another question, but that's... Now, according to the Denver Post, uh, the Boulder District Attorney made an immediate determination that John and Patsy were the main suspects. Denver Post claimed the couple was the sole focus of the police investigation. That was April 18, 1997. Now, in March 2000, uh, the Ramses uh, published a book discussing the case. It's called The Death of Innocence. 
The untold story of John Bonet's murder and how its exploitation compromised the pursuit of truth. Now, June 24th, 2006, Patsy Ramsey, only 49, died after a battle with ovarian cancer. August of 2006, police shouting from the rooftops, they had a break in the case. John Mark Carr, John Mark Carr, claims he killed John Bonet. That's according to Court TV. Well, he was a teacher, and uh, it was eventually cleared when the, his DNA is shown not to be unmatched with the forensic evidence collected in the case. July 2008, the, um, released a the dis Boulder District Attorney's Office released a statement said prosecutors no longer consider anybody in the Ramsey family, including John Patsy or the victim's brother Burke, a person of interest. That's announced after tests on DNA evidence collected at the crime scene came back with a genetic profile of a male who's unrelated to the Ramseys. June 22, 2016, police arrest Gary Oliva, 52 years old. They got a cyber tip about the downloading of child pornography. Investigators learned that Oliva had a photo of John Bonet in his possession during a 2000 arrest. He admitted to having an obsession with the child at the time. And, according to Court TV, he was in the area at the time the crime occurred. September 2016, John Bonet's brother Burke, who was nine when she died, 20 years later, gives an interview to Dr. Phil. And he said, I know people think I did it or my parents did it, and I know we were suspects. He told uh, Dr. Phil he believed a pedophile broke into the family's home and killed his sister. <laughs> Didn't wake anybody else up. A quiet pedophile. January 2020, Boulder police dismissed convicted pedophile who leaves his alleged confession he's responsible for John Bonet's slaying. According to KG, KMGH TV, Boulder Police Department's aware Mr. Olivian has investigated his potential involvement in the case, including several previous confessions. But they wouldn't go into detail about anything else. December 2021, shortly before the 25th anniversary of John Bonet's murder, law enforcement officials note there continues to be an active and ongoing investigation into the case. Going to the Boulder Police Department, the, the department continues to use new technology to enhance the investigation. It's actively reviewing genetic DNA testing processes to see if these can be applied to this case moving forward. November 2022, the Boulder Police Department indicates investigators will work with the Colorado Cold Case Review Team on the case. January 2023, John, uh, John Ramsey reached out to Colorado Governor Jared Polis about his daughter's murder. He said, I'm 78 now and realize that time for answers is running out. And the murder of my daughter can never be undone. There will never be peace or closure, but there can and should be justice. 
June 1st, 2023. John, his son, John Andrew, Boulder Police Chief uh, Maris Harold and Deputy Chief Stephen Red uh, Farron uh, meet with Boulder District Attorney Michael Daugherty. We have trust they're going to do the right thing, John Andrew said about the development. Denver Gazette reports, I told him I'm not interested in litigating the past. Well, it's interesting to note that uh, sometimes the system is just stacked against you. All righty. Let's go to December 25th, 2009. Killing at the Drama Club, a gay Louisiana night spot. Huma, Louisiana. Well, in the wee hours of Christmas morning, 2009, Robert LeCompte, the beloved manager of the Drama Club, was closing up business for the night and tallying up his receipts after a fun and raucous and hugely successful holiday celebration. As he was concentrating on the tallying, an assailant snuck up on him, stabbed him 14 times, and made off with $4,000 in cash. Left behind a cocktail napkin on which he scrawled in ballpoint pen, you gave me AIDS. LeCompte had been diagnosed with HIV in 1995. Well, the perpetrator turned out to be Jarrell Young, 23, an ex-employee with whom LeCompte had what was described as a friends-with-benefits relationship. And despite this, Young presented himself as straight, dated women, and had fathered a daughter. He also collected military knives and been arrested for domestic violence and illegal weapons possession. Well, as the police conducted their investigation, Young's pregnant girlfriend called to say he had beaten her for the last time and she had evidence he killed LeCompte. She gave police a bloody shirt, a bloody keychain marked Robert LeCompte, a stack of bloody cash. The investigators concluded that Young had planted the You Gave Me AIDS note to throw him off the trail. Well, a jury convicted him of first-degree murder, and he's serving a life without parole, possibility of parole in Angola. Well, from there, let's go to Washington, D.C. Actress Tricia McCauley offers Christmas kindness to a homeless man, and he repays her by raping and strangling her. Not known exactly how Adrian Johnson, 30 years old, got inside the Toyota Sion uh, being driven by uh, Tricia McCauley, Christmas Day 2016. Many who knew the D.C. area actress and yoga instructor believe she may have offered to give him a ride. All that is known for sure is that Johnson beat McCauley, sexually assaulted her, and choked her to death with her own scarf before stealing her vehicle and her wallet. Now... Over the next two days, searches scoured the area looking for Macaulay until a tipster pointed cops in the right direction. After Johnson entered a CVS with Macaulay's car keys and credit cards, uh, um, he also stole items in the CVS and physically accosted two employees. Officers picked him up and charged him with first-degree murder. You know, 
He's serving 30 years in prison, after which he'll be placed on 30 years supervised release. By the time all that finishes, he'll be 90 years old. Well, you know, there's a lot of strange people. And quite often, the, strangest, the strangeness comes out at times like Christmas. This next story is about two Tennessee women who lured a man with sex on Christmas night. And that's a, that's a nice present, but don't get me wrong. Then they teamed with the boyfriend to torture him to death and burn his body. That was December 25th, 2015. Kingsport, Tennessee. I was there 50-some years ago. Christopher Lee West, 39, headed to the home of Amanda Joy LaForce, 24, and Crystal Nicole Lane, 25, thinking he was in for a Christmas treat. The two women told West to come over for a night of unabashed yuletide sex. He got to open the package. Once he got there, Timothy Sean McCarron, a 45, attacked from behind with a baseball bat. McCarron had uh, been dating LaForce uh, at the time, and uh, she described him as very jealous. Well, from beating him with a bat, McCarron, LaForce, and Lane, who said they spent all Christmas Day injecting themselves with drugs, uh, um, one drug known as ice and the other gravel, restrained, pummeled, and strangled West for hours till he finally died. Next day, they transported his body to a wooded area, set it on fire, and pushed it down an embankment. Well, McCarran and Lane got plea deals. He got 26 years for second-degree murder. Well, the six for on suspended probation for abuse of a corpse. Well, Force's sentence was a bit more complicated. She got 25 years for second-degree murder. Eight years for drugs, one year for abuse of a corpse, 11 months and 29 days for drug paraphernalia. Uh, Amanda Joy LaForce uh, has not yet um, been sentenced. Well, you know, there's a lot of very strange people who seem to surface on major holidays. I got a story about a Texas psycho who drove 15 hours to shoot a girlfriend's parents on Christmas. Marion Oaks, Florida. Night before Christmas in 2014, Preston Pollard, 23, drove 15 hours from his home in Texas to the Florida residence of Richard Hudson, 36, his wife Mary Lou Hudson, 55, and the parents of Pollard's unnamed 18-year-old girlfriend. Apparently, Pollard believed the Hudsons had prevented the, uh, his girlfriend from spending the holidays with him, so he decided to go get her. Well, when he arrived, apparently he uh, became a little unglued, so to speak. According to the Marion County Sheriff's Office, they opened the door when he knocked, and he started shooting. Marianne Hudson took four bullets and survived, although she was severely wounded. Uh, Pollard hit Richard Hudson just once, but it killed him. After Apollo drove about 350 miles back to Texas, pulled over and shot himself in the head. Never did connect up with his girlfriend, apparently. Well, there's a lot of um, interesting 
stories about um, Christmas homicides. We got another interesting story. The um, it was a mother of two, starting over after divorce, found true love, but the um, individual she took up with turned out to be uh, not exactly what she expected. Two thousand seven. Tina Swore, 43 at the time, was introduced to 41-year-old John Dalton at a local bar in Clarkston, Washington, and the two really hit it off. The uh, Swore's brother, Robert Frasco, called Dalton a macho mountain man whose two favorite things in life are hunting and guns. He said, I thought she'd found the right guy. Dalton eventually moved into Swore's home and The pair lived it up, often throwing parties together. While they had plenty of good times, Dalton, who earned very good money as a construction worker, appeared not to be pulling his weight around the house. He wasn't ponying up the shared expenses. And even more... Annoying, Dalton gave Swore very little help after she had to undergo surgery for a leaking heart valve. After Swore filed for bankruptcy following the failure of her candy store, she and Dalton purchased a plot of land three hours from Clarkston in Spirit Lake, Idaho, and built a house. And even though Swore contributed a down payment on the property, according to her daughter, John didn't want my mother's name on the deed because he thinks once he had the money and the job that it was just his house. Well, as time passed, the couple began to argue about putting her name on the house and the money and other topics, and Swore started to complain to friends that Dalton was moody and drinking too much. According to her daughter, I was worried about my mother when she lived at Spirit Lake, especially when I'd get calls of how they were in an argument or he's fighting with her. I was frankly scared. I was starting to get anxiety just thinking that something was going to happen. Well, in 2021... That fear came to pass. Uh, August 16th of that year, a concerned neighbor phoned emergency dispatchers to report she hadn't seen the two in two days. An absence, she said, was very unusual. According to Kutanai uh, County Deputy Prosecutor Stanley Mortensen, deputies found nothing out of the ordinary at the house until they made their way into the master bedroom. And they said that room was a total disaster. Blood stains and blood splatter on the walls and Swore's body on the floor. So the scene was gruesome and grisly. Well, according to investigators, Swore had been shot at close range, indicating it was a very emotional, angry person who had conducted this murder. And Dalton and his truck were both gone. Police couldn't locate a murder weapon at the scene. We used security camera footage and witness testimony. Detectives identified Dalton as a suspect in Swore's murder, and they started searching for him. Two days later, August 18th, a bank teller in St. Mary's, Idaho, phoned the local sheriff's office after seeing a flyer about Dalton, and then she saw him. Local authorities located the suspect and took him into custody. Well, during police investigation, interrogation, Dalton immediately began to reveal his role in his partner's death. 
and video footage of, of the interrogation. The detective tells Dalton they learned it two days before Swerver was found dead. She was flirting with somebody at a local bar. Dalton responded, Swerver was just a friendly person. He admits that an argument that was sparked between the two because there were some other things that came out that night, including Swerver warning she had plans to mess with him financially. According to Mr. Dalton, Swerver was going to leave him and She's going to take a significant portion of his money, half the house, and go after his Social Security, and this caused him some real concern. In the police video, Dalton claims he and Swore and got in a fight over a gun, and he backhanded her in the mouth. Dalton admitted he snapped and shot Swore more than once after he grabbed the firearm. He said, I know the evidence looks very horrific towards me, but I wouldn't aggress her in that whole thing. Police later found the murder weapon in a motel room Dalton rented following the deadly shooting. According to Deputy Prosecutor Mortensen, this wasn't a normal killing. This was an execution. She was shot five times in the back of the head. Dalton was charged with first-degree murder and pled guilty to the lesser charge of second-degree murder in March of 2022. Sentenced to life in prison. Going to be eligible for parole after serving 20 years. According to Swore's daughter, she misses the positive words her mother always had for her. Says, I wish I could call her. I'd tell her how much I miss her. Well, there's um, all kinds of um, stories about um, people snapping at Christmas. The um, there's a couple, Raymond Fernandez and Martha Beck, known as the Lonely Hearts Killers, found their victims in the personal ads of a romance magazine. Fernandez was a World War II veteran who was likely suffering a traumatic brain injury. Beck met him by responding to a personal ad and eventually moved into his Brooklyn apartment. Well, the killings began in 1946. Beck would pose as Fernandez's sister, and Fernandez would char- charm older women into giving them their money. Now, by 1949, their scheme escalated to murder, and according to best estimates, they killed 17 women. They were um, convicted and executed March 8, 1951. Well, hmm. Now the uh, there's some interesting um, stories you probably haven't heard about. Uh, it was a West Virginia murder that may not have been a murder at all. This next one, it's the Sauter family murders. Five of the Sauter family children were given permission to stay up late Christmas Eve in 1945 while their parents and younger siblings went to sleep. And when a fire broke out overnight, it was assumed that those children perished in the blaze, even though later investigation did not show their remains in the debris. Witness came forward and that they saw the children in a vehicle with adults not long after the fire started. Waitress in South Carolina claims she served the children breakfast on Christmas morning. 
You know, save for one mysterious letter sent to the Sodders in 1968. Five children never heard from again. And that uh, that particular story has never gotten much um, traction. Well, let's go to Covina, where a man uh, hmm, dressed as Santa opened fire to the Los Angeles area home on Christmas Eve in 2008 before setting the house on fire and killing himself at his brother's home. Bruce Pardo, who was reportedly upset about his recent divorce, opened fire at the home of his ex-wife's parents during a family Christmas party. When all the dust settled and the shooting stopped, nine people were dead and three more, including an eight-year-old girl, were injured. Well, there was evidence Pardo had planned to flee after the killings, but police believed he turned the gun on himself in part due to severe third-degree burns he sustained while setting the house on fire. That falls under the best-laid plans category. How about the Dayton, Ohio Christmas killings? Four people in a holiday rampage killed six folks in a Three-day spree killing in 1992. A small gang ranging in age from 16 to 20 known as the Downtown Posse and was frequently seen panhandling around Dayton. The first victim was tied up and shot with his own gun early on Christmas Eve. Final victims were two friends of the gang who were murdered to keep them from talking to the police. They were killed on December 26, 1992. Three of the killers are serving life sentence, and the fourth was executed in 2009. Well, how about Samina Imam, 34 years old. Thought she was taking a quick Christmas Eve trip with her Costco co-worker and lover, Roger Cooper, in 2014. They'd been together for two years, and Imam had issued an ultimatum. Time for him to get serious about her and leave his wife. Instead, Cooper and his brother, David, uh, completed the plan that hatched weeks earlier while commuting with each other in the Star Wars-esque code. Roger Cooper and Imam stopped by David Cooper's house, where it's believed the brothers attacked her and dosed her with chloroform and heavy metals before disposing of her body. The family reported her missing when she didn't come home uh, for Boxing Day. Brothers were in jail by January 7, 2015, sentenced to 30 years in prison later on that year. That just shows you can't trust anybody. Well, Trisha McCauley, actress known for her role as Jenna Dewan's stand-in for the film Step Up, was killed Christmas Day in 2016 when she crossed paths with a homeless man in Washington, D.C. Uh, investigators say the man, Dwayne Johnson, climbed into her vehicle where he beat and raped her before strangling her to death. He pleaded guilty to first-degree murder and was sentenced to 30 years in prison. Then there's the Dallas Christmas killings. Man killed his children, his estranged wife, and some of his family, wife's family members on Christmas Day, 2011. Aziz Yazdampana was dressed as Santa when he arrived at his ex-wife's apartment and reportedly opened presents with his teenage children, niece and brother and sister-in-law, before shooting them all and then turning the gun on himself. One of the victims managed to call 911, but police found all seven people dead when they arrived on the scene just minutes later. And there's the Lawson family murders. Charlie Lawson been complaining about headaches and insomnia for months prior to murdering his wife and seven of their eight children on Christmas Day in 1929 before he turned the gun on himself. 
Bodies were discovered later on Christmas Day when relatives came by to visit. Lawson's body was found with two notes in his pocket, according to Rockingham Now, and they said trouble can cause and nobody to blame. The remaining child, 16-year-old Arthur, wasn't home at the time of the murders. Charlie apparently gave his son permission to leave and then killed the family while Arthur was away. At least he allowed somebody to escape. Zazelle Preston was studying to become a domestic violence counselor when she herself became a victim of domestic violence. Christmas Eve 2011, her husband, William Wallace, beat her to death after an argument and then drug her lifeless body into bed for the night. Christmas morning, he propped her up on the couch before her and Preston's young daughters opened their presents next to their mother's body. Uh, he was convicted of second-degree murder and actually going to get out of prison in 2036 if somebody didn't shoot him first. Stephanie Kilhefner was the next victim. Dustin Lee Clop took his two small children to celebrate Christmas with his parents in 2014. And then he called the police and confessed he'd killed his wife, Stephanie Kilhefner, the night before and put her body in the shed on their property. Christmas Eve, Clop reportedly punched uh, Kilhefner, slit her throat, and struck her several times with an axe. He committed suicide in his jail cell uh, March 2015. And finally, because we're just about out of time, we've got the, the Carnation Christmas Eve murders, which rocked the small Washington town east of Seattle when the bodies of six people discovered at a home December 26, 2007. Michelle Anderson, along with her boyfriend, Joseph McEnroe, shot and killed Anderson's parents, brother, sister-in-law, niece, and nephew on Christmas Eve that year. The motive was apparently robbery. Anderson claimed her brother owed her $40,000. She was frustrated her parents were on his side. Anderson was given six consecutive life uh, terms in prison. Which just goes to show, no matter what your rationale is for murder, somebody's going to misunderstand. Well, on that note, we come to the end of today's show. I want you all to have a very Merry Christmas, and we will talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>